And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, uh, a podcast all about a live following Watford Football Club and we followed Watford today to home, to Vicarage Road, where the game finished 1-1 with the travelling team and of course Newcastle United. Uh, brought to you by The Athletic, my name is John, uh, with me today is Jason. Good afternoon, just waving at all the Newcastle fans, They're, they seem to be waving back. <laughs> Only got a couple of fingers up, Chase. Um, and Mike? I don't, I don't know about waving them. We'll be welcoming them back to Vicarage Road in the Championship, I assume, next year. What a fantastic week we've had. We've, we've now worked out all the jeopardy of the season's gone. We've seen, uh, having been to Carrow Road at the weekend, we've seen the three relegated teams in, uh, in, <laughs> in, a, in the case of a week. Absolutely uh, fantastic. What a dire afternoon here at Vicarage Road. <laughs> and hopefully, <laughs> with some counterpoint to that, Sorry, my voice is a bit croaky. That's how comes from shouting too much at a game of football. It's Colin. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, I was a little bit depressed at half-time, but I feel a lot happier now. Second-half performance, we managed to come from behind, get a point. That's the Premier League. You've got to be able to do that. Yeah, well, I, for me, it was a game. It was a, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Or the bad, the good, and the ugly. Let's talk about the bad first. I'm not doing that. I'm doing that chronologically, not because, hey, let's get the bad out of the way. Um, Jason, the first-half performance of, ooh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. But basically, Newcastle just being what you, in a polite way, you would call a, a professional football team playing to their, their strengths. Yeah, and us not dealing with it. I mean, let's give a little bit of credit first of all. First 10 minutes, we, I thought we started well. We, we caused them some problems early on. Um, but then we quite quickly got into a situation where we were letting them boss the play. They got off a series of corners. We didn't look like we could cope with them at all they were they I mean it's basic stuff isn't it we'll probably talk about well worked set pieces later on for some reason but what they were doing was really clever but not that clever because they're just moving around bunched up on the edge of the box little bit of movement our defence didn't seem to know where to go to follow I think Truth had hold of his shirt for the first one and they were upset I think Kuchka got fouled anyway in that, that first corner so handbags but it, it just sort of seemed to put uh, something in our minds that, oh, this is going to be difficult today. And all of a sudden, we looked a bit worried and a bit scared. Our tempo wasn't good enough again. You, you look at Newcastle, OK, the, you talk about the dirty stuff that they do. Mm. Even so, they were moving the ball around quicker than we were, I thought. They, they, they always seemed to have a man available to pass to. We didn't seem to have that. We were slower, not always at the man. 
not always making the right decisions, trying to run up our own arsey sometimes, looking for nutmegs. Emmanuel Dennis in the middle of the park. The nutmeg kings of Europe that we are. Another two, Another two. 14. Come on, we'll be the champs. Yeah, great. One of them nearly led to a goal for Newcastle. So, yeah, we. <laughs> hey, hey, it's a stat, Jason. <laughs> it's a stat, it's a stat. Yeah, and we just didn't seem to get out of that funk. And then, and then the goal. Again, it came from a corner. We were slow to, to get out to, uh, to the man out, out wide. Not for the first time, though, against Longstaff. He'd, he'd had a bit of practice. Oh, that was it with the three of them. I think, I think Sissoko eventually came out. No one else closed Willock or, uh, or, or Longstaff. Longstaff's had his third go. Even then, Foster, I think he got something to it. He'll probably be disappointed. And, and from that point on, Newcastle were doing that horrible, dirty, foully, niggly, time-wasty stuff. But... If we hadn't wasted time getting out to Longstaff in the first place, then, you know, oh, just just a very frustrating first half. Shocking, shocking, shocking that we didn't go to school on that. There was two, two set pieces in the build-up to the goal and, then the, and Longstaff was basically finding his radar. That's all he was doing, calibrating his radar. Once, twice, he had the time to bring it down on the volley. The third one, again, no one comes out to him and he did put some fizz on it. It was a decent hit. They still need hitting from that distance. So absolute credit to him for, for putting it, hitting it hard enough that Foster couldn't save it even though he got something on it. But I think that spoke absolutely volumes about our defensive performance as a whole throughout the piece. We started, Dennis should have scored probably in the first minute. That was the bright spark, perhaps, of the whole game, I think, really. Uh, the goal we scored was a bit brighter. Well, yeah, but, but at, at that point, you think, right, because t- what, yeah. what we wanted to do to this Newcastle team, let's not forget, we, talked, we, we caveated last game about Norwich being in poor form and looking like a poor team. You've got to apply the same to Newcastle. They haven't looked like winning all season. The Newcastle fans are noisy, but every other song is had sacked the manager, which I love they call, still call him Brucey. We want Brucey out. So it's not like... You can't be that friendly. Yeah, not, you know, let's get it right. Newcastle were a team in absolutely dire straits, flapping around in this Premier League without a win. We had an opportunity there to capitalise on a decent start. And what we actually did is... We turned it into a, a defensive disaster class, I thought. At half-time, you know, you talk about Newcastle, what they did, you know, the dark arts, whatever. Fine. They should have been 3-0 up at half-time, if not more. It should have been 3. Not, not close. It should have been 3-0. They had clear-cut chances to put this game to bed by half-time. That's nowhere near good enough. Can I say something about the corners? Because this is perplexing me, and I don't understand. And it's obviously a Cisco Munoz decision that we never put anyone on the halfway line. And if we're a team that's supposed to set up to play teams on the break, why don't Saar or Dennis or both stand out wide on the halfway line? Because that would force Newcastle to have at least three, if not four players back there covering them, which would mean they'd only have four or five players to get in the box. But we don't do that. We put all our players in our box, which allows all their players to come forward. They have no one back. They've got three in a little semicircular ring just outside our box, which is how they scored the goal, and the rest are in the box. So I don't understand that. No other team, as far as I can see, do it. You do it in the last minute of extra time when you're leading 1-0. But it seems to be a policy decision, a tactical decision, to put all our players back there. So we've got eight, nine, ten outfield players in our own box, and they've got seven. If we push two players out and they've got to put four back, and they've still got to have a couple of players on the edge of the box, that leaves them with four players, four or five players to get in the box, which definitely reduces their chances of scoring from a set piece. But we don't seem to do it, and I don't know why. My assumption is that if you've got a crowded box, it makes it harder to find space to, to actually score a goal. If you've, got, if you've got a crowded box with lots of bodies, you're blocking shots, it's a bit scrappy, and you just... 
more of an opportunity for the defence to get it out, I think. I mean, that's my assumption. I, I, agree, with I, I, I agree with that, because it, but, but the problem with it is that Newcastle are not under any pressure at their own at the corners, their offensive corners. They can take a corner into their into our box and they've got absolutely no pressure on them if, if they lose possession because there's no one to pass it to. So I, I really find that perplexing. I don't understand that. The first half, but we never sustained anything. There was no sustain. There were moments. There was... You know, it was it felt terrible at half time, but the things were there, they just weren't being used properly, and as Jay said, we weren't pushing it forward properly. But the second half, Colin, the good I'm not saying perfect, Michael, before you get going. The good in that first half, I think, is this this is the first game we've drawn. And this is the first game where we've got something from going behind. What is it that you think felt completely different I know we didn't win it I know we could have won it we all celebrated how many times Jason twice we, tw- we celebrated a winning goal twice thank you ref <laughs> we'll get to him later what, what made it so much better for you ok well firstly if you can get a point in any Premier League game you're one point closer to avoiding the drop and if you get a point a game on average over the season you're probably going to stay up with 38 points so a point from being behind is something we haven't done so far yeah. as you just as you just said so that that's impressive but the, the key thing and I hate to say this really because I love him but the key uh, the key difference was bringing on Ozan Tufan for what we assume is a concussion injury to Cleverly which is why people were going we're having four substitutions how come we've got four substitutions what's going on shush the referee might not have noticed <laughs> like he wouldn't notice yeah, you never know when Tufan you never know with this one <laughs> when Tufan came on it meant Sissoko and Kutska as I've been told by Slovakian is how you say his name Kutska they dropped a bit deeper but we had a player who really seemed to want the ball he got he, he played at the, uh, on Tuesday and he, uh, to be fair he didn't cover himself in glory but then no one did and then he comes on and obviously this is a big opportunity for him to get into the first team when you you know we came off a win picks the same 11 you can't argue with that but he comes in at half time so he knows he's got 45 minutes and the thing that impressed me was that he could hold the ball up with his back to goal when he received it at his feet he could play on the half turn but the the thing and and he also constantly found space now we haven't really had that in the first half a player in space that you could actually pass the ball to and so he he started to turn the tables in that midfield area first half they totally dominated the three players we couldn't get a kick we couldn't keep the ball couldn't find anyone to pass to and in the second half we started to match them up a bit more and in fact in the end take control of that midfield area as they began to tire and and I so I thought ooh that's interesting because they've talked a lot. They've, they've talked a lot about this player. They've talked about how good he is, uh, how comfortable he is on the ball. And I thought today he proved that. He his movement was good, which we lacked in the first half. He he was always open, and and when he got the ball, he wanted to go forward. His first instinct was to turn and move the ball forward, which allows, which just encourages those forward players, Dennis, Saar. King, they think, okay, there's a player there, a bit like last week with Cleverly, who did the same thing. There's a player there who, when he gets it, he's going to go forward so we can make our runs. We can look, we can get a bit more energy into our bodies because we think this guy might actually knock it forward to us. We might get it into positions. Danny Rose was the same. It had an effect on Danny Rose. He started to come further up the pitch. And, and we just looked a much better outfit with that configuration of players in that central three midfielders. And I think that helps us. Was it? Was he more Ozan, uh, Jordy put in the WhatsApp group, Ozan Watson? I thought maybe, maybe a Ozan Abdi. But. We looked prettier. We looked we looked more threatening to a degree when he came on. And I'm, I'm certainly not going to dig out Ozan Tufan for his first Premier League performance coming in against the backdrop of that. And that Colin's right. We did He did find space. But I think if I'm going to be critical of him, a critical friend <laughs> I think when we did have space and when we did find ourselves earn ourselves those little pockets of space in midfield how did we use it 
badly. They were always looking for one touch too many. I'm going to ask the question, and I know this is difficult, but Matt Ritchie rugby tackled Ismail Assar after, what, half an hour? On a, on a yellow card. Matt Ritchie's not a left-back. So that is a tacit admission that he knows that he's done. That if he, the star knocks the ball past him and goes, he felt his only option was to rugby tackle him. You could argue it's a professional foul, it could be a red card, whatever. Red card. It should be, I think. So he's admitted, thrown his hands up and said, Saar, I can't deal with you. How many times after that did we get the spin the ball out, when with all with space we earned, spin the ball out to him so he can have that battle again after that? But that's a criti- what? Well, the criticism... Once. The criticism of Ishmaela was very, like, literally the first moment. No, 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 but there, but there was definitely, he wasn't, in the first half, he, at one point, he just didn't run. I went, okay, you're not going to just make him stay by the, the centre line, are you? No, please don't. Then he flung, almost flung himself into the middle during that first half. He wasn't even giving Richie hassle early on. He was sort of drifting. Yeah. And he does that, yeah. but then he does score a goal. And they, yeah, and they do, and they do they do move around and they do rotate that front three a little bit, which they have to do because if you just stick Ismail Assar out on the right, you can deal with it because you know where he is. You double, you, you man mark it, and you stop the ball from going to him. And, and Newcastle did that pretty effectively. But we've got to come up with answers when when our only attacking threat effectively is him or Emmanuel Dennis. You've got to work it out. That was more, and we just, we just, we didn't. And not only did we not, we got nowhere near to it. Inesti scored. Yes, we got the equaliser. Yes, we've come away with a point. And and I will admit, I am in a vile mood. Never. I I found that that by far and away the most disappointing performance of the season. Really? Really? Bearing in mind the context, you look at what Brighton have gone on to do since we played them. You look at the absolute mess that Newcastle are in. You know, in terms of morale and what we were able to do with him, I thought it was. I'll be honest, I thought it was abject. You're, you're, I think you're looking at this game, Mike. You're, you're comparing the result and what the other teams have done. The result. I think I'm looking at it a little bit differently. I'm looking at it in terms of, as I said already, it, it was a comeback. It was the first time. It definitely felt previously, Jason. If you felt this, but previously. Every time we've gone to, we've been behind, we've made some changes, there's been no effect. In fact, last week at Wolves, it felt like it was even worse. And I suppose that's what I'm looking at, Mike, I suppose, in terms of that positive. Yeah, yeah. But those changes that were made, they, they had an effect. Not perfect, Michael, but it had an effect, Jason. They did, they did have an effect, and most were like for like, apart from the Pedro one coming mm. on, with Pedro coming on, where we changed it up a bit, 4 4 2. Good to see him back on the pitch. Probably did well. Colin was saying after the game, uh, as we were walking up, uh, what, how good it was to see him back all those little touches we know how how strong he is as well you know he, he's not going to get bullied out of the game which we worry that maybe some other players were earlier in, uh, earlier in the game when he brought him on it was a risk you know he had to take that risk it was at the point in the game where we didn't take the risk we were going to end up limping to another 1-0 defeat it weakened the midfield slightly but we had the upper hand and uh, and we had that momentum with I think two fans with him playing well like you said I love the fact that how he was always looking to go forward that none of the other players have been doing previously it, it, it put Newcastle on the back foot and that's what we wanted and sort of we, we took the initiative which as you say in other games where we've gone behind we've never really done that certainly the, the Wolves game the, the previous league defeat at 1-0 we just it was like our heads dropped and the game was lost at that point. Today, second half, 
we looked like we could actually get back into the game, and I we think, did. I think that is a positive, and I, I will I will concede. Oh, that, that, hey, <laughs> that, <laughs> luckily, luckily, um, I think Pedro was a, was it was definitely a a, a a bright spot. I thought Danny Rose had a had a good game as well. And if we if we if I'm going to be forced to say <laughs> nice things about this uh, about this shower. But I thought Cisco had a reasonable game in that in that second half in terms of how it and then I think bringing Itebo on as well just to gum things yeah. up a little bit. I think he he sensed what was happening and we that's one question we've all had about him is how, what can he do? How can he impact on the game? And in a in a really poor performance I thought it was today, he actually he was proactive and they and we could see what he was doing and I think they worked. So I think that's credit. We did try to do it and you know on a different day we might have got the win and perhaps we might just have deserved it bizarrely on the second half performance even though if you take out the first half on the second half performance we maybe we just shaded it but again nearly lost it nearly lost it at the end. So so positives I think he shuffled the pack and adapted and reacted to, to what was going on in, in the game and I that was definitely a positive and yeah Pedro coming on like you like you both said is was is a very very welcome Philip it's my real concern I mean I think the defense was was a mess and I think that they the, the real issue is how we unlock that forward that attacking potential because we've got Pedro there we've got Dennis there we've got Saar there uh, King who I thought you know he, he looks he looks to part. He lo- looks like this number nine striker. I say it week in, week out. He looks like it. He's sniffing around. He's hungry. He's strong. He's powerful. Doesn't take a backward step. How do we utilise them? And if we don't start doing it very, very soon, it's going to get very difficult. And if and my worry is, and that's why I'm upset and worried, if you can't do it against a a, a, a pretty flaccid team like Newcastle, who can you do it against? Well, is it a matter of time, Colin? I know there's. We talked about lots of players coming in. Too fan with his debut. Pedro with his Premier League debut this against a crowd, uh, with a crowd in front of him, would have just a bit more time, a bit more playing. You know, those moments we saw in the first half where the ball is being passed, where they're all expecting to go, what they want to do with it. It's not happening enough because all of a sudden a team's in front of them. But do you think that's going to be, that, that's just going to get better? Well, I think in any, in any walk of life, uh, especially in a working environment, you want to see incremental improvement. I'm sure at your school you have targets and you have to try and, you know, you have to try and hit those targets. You have reviews, quarterly reviews, and so on. And that's true of almost any job you do. Um, so that's what we're looking for as fans, because we have got a new side. We have got some key first-team players. You can name them: Dennis King, Sissoko, Rose four starters who haven't really played much for the last 18 months and so you, you, you want to see that, 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 you want to see them improve and what was disappointing about the first half was that we could see there had been an incremental in, improvement from the Wolves game to the Norwich game and it felt in that first half like we'd taken an enormous step back but there was some in, incremental improvement in the second half in that we were able to fight back from being behind which is the first thing but I do think that the person who is improving uh, the most and the most quickly and I think we have to give him some credit for this because he's never managed in this league uh, and only had half a season in the championship which was a miraculous half season let's face it I think 18 out of 21 uh, games we won under him once he changed the system so he seems to be improving I pick up what Mike was saying about in-game management which is so crucial in, in Premier League football if it's not working in fact he brought on Etebo because once he took uh, Kutzka off 
there was a bloody great hole in the middle of our midfield which they kept running into and so it was like they're going to score even though they weren't really looking to push us back and score they weren't really that excited about winning this game 2-1 they were sort of kind of do we don't we are we happy at one or we don't want to lose but nevertheless there was this enormous hole and Sissoko is not the man to go into that hole so he, he made a good change he was watching the game one and I think he's improving as a coach I think the jump from the Wolves performance and the, and the tactics at the Wolves performance where we were very defensive to the performance against Norwich where we were much more attacking that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Cisco thing that's a way that's a tactical thing that's how he wants to set the team up and he tried to do it again it went a bit wrong and then he went again at half time and I think that yes we need more time yes we're a new side but I think the key person in this whole scenario really is Munoz and at the moment I think he's doing pretty well because we managed to get that win away which is massive and then we managed to get a point from a losing position here and those points are the ones that you look back on and go wow that point we got against Newcastle we were 1-0 down that was a massive point if we go up to Leeds and win next week then you know suddenly we got 10 points from seven games and you think well that's not a bad start for a newly promoted side whether we win at Leeds or not I don't know again a bit like Mike says they're not they're not ripping up any trees at the moment they're not doing all that well they'll be a bit nervous at home in front of their fans thinking Christ we can't lose to Watford and if we can get ahead in that game maybe he can game manage us to another victory we'll have to see but I do think there are some incremental improvements but if you take away the first half because the first half was really terrible From the Rookery End a podcast about life following Watford FC John, can I ask you a question and just on Cisco and one big decision that he's made this week, well, in the last seven days, is dropping Francisco Sierra Alta from the squad completely. So he has been dropped. He played on Tuesday against Stoke and was fine, I thought. It, no one uh, covered themselves in much glory. So bearing in mind what we've seen this afternoon, I thought Craig Cathcart, I'm, I'm a big Craig Cathcart fan, but I think his days in this team might be might be numbered um, I think he's, he found, finds himself on the wrong side too many times yeah. slow to react and you know when um, Tim uh, the, the announcer announced the next game we'll see you back here for the visit of Liverpool <laughs> I sort of shrank a little bit into my seat and thought oh I might be poorly I'll be here of course I will so it's kind of so what's, what do you make of that decision to to effectively drop Alta, someone who's looked like a, potentially our best centre back up until a couple of weeks ago my, my head goes I didn't think it was a punishment it's not punishment for having scored their own goal my, my, my the only way I could see it, a, a, a player who is playing for his national team he's being applauded by his fans he is had an amazing half a season you don't would expect to drop your head that quickly for scoring one unfortunate own goal against Wolves but is he sat there taking all the blame talking to all the players saying I'm really sorry I'm really sorry I'm really sorry and in those days running up to the Norwich game, did Cisco go, you know what, let's just leave you out for this one, mate. And then I'm going to give you a game against Stoke and you'll have a great game and be fine. But then they let three goals in. And then he's going, oh, I'm questioning myself. And this wasn't a game to put a questioning player in. That's the only reason why I wouldn't play him. I don't think I'd want this game to be the game where he gets his head straight. Stoke was a game where he gets his head straight. Maybe he didn't. I don't think, as Collins has said, Cisco is that bad a coach to go you know what he's one in or he's not playing well let's get rid of him let's you know he's not trying to puff out his chest and show him that he's a manager who's going to make some big changes when it's needed I, I really want to know what's going inside Francesco C. Valter's head it, it doesn't make sense as we've sort of discussed when he I, I, just to add to that when he scored the own goal in that game 
his head certainly didn't drop uh, in the game. He, he, he had a good game up to that point. And I thought he carried on playing well for the rest of the game. But like you say, you don't know then when you when you then go into the changing room, when you, you're washed and dressed and you're starting to think about it, do you then, does it then sort of start to affect you? Was he texting Munoz all night saying, I'm really sorry, no, I'm really sorry, I'm really, really sorry, 3am in the morning, I'm sorry. Yeah, you just don't know, do you? I thought the way he reacted in game was, was, was fantastic, but... Yeah, you just don't know what after after the game. Right. Does it make sense to you, Mike? It kind of does. Yeah, that if he's if he's yeah mentally had a bit of a a collapse, but yeah, not to not to be on the I I find it surprising. He he has been he's been impressive. I think he looks he just looks the part. And I think for for one like you say the the immediate impact of the own goal wasn't one of someone who was looking to hide or looked worried. And you know he's been around the block. You know he's played international football. He's he's a big old boy. And you know, he's 24, Mike. You don't get round the block when you're 24. <laughs> I know what you mean. I do. But yeah, he's he's been there and done it. And as a centre back, you you cock up occasionally, yeah. and your mistakes are pretty obvious. And I just find it, you know, it's this is not I'm not, it's not critical or um, I'm not digging anyone out. But what I am trying to under, I'm trying to understand it because it find it it, it it is interesting, and I think. The whole experience thing with Norwich, I said it at the time, I think the game, we, the team we picked for that game was right because effectively that was a, a, we were playing a championship side, in effect. We were playing a game that we knew how to win it. We knew we had the tools to, to beat them and we knew how to do it because we've done it a lot, including last, last year. And whether that follows through to a game like today where we've talked about Newcastle, you guys have mentioned... Newcastle, I thought they got into the referee. I know you're keen to talk about the ref. I thought they were, they were, what they wanted to do was unsettle him in his first Premier yeah. League game. So they knew, they know what they're about. They're, they're better than Norwich in virtually every, every aspect. Do we need to step things up a little bit for a, for a game like that? Is it a mistake not to bring in who objectively might be our best centre back? Well, everything you're saying, Mike, is exactly how everyone's probably thinking yeah. and everyone's questioning why. So there's got to be a really big reason why, surely. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the ref, Colin? Yeah. I, by the way, I did enjoy it. We've had the crowds back for a while now. There's been lots of chance, but I don't think I've heard it for years. You don't know what you're doing. So, <laughs> a referee, it felt really retro. Well, it was also true. I mean, <laughs> it was absolutely on the money. The crowd were on point. The referee, I, I, I hate talking about referee, yeah. but obviously, but I thought this referee uh, wasn't in control of the game for a single minute of the game. And that doesn't mean that he necessarily made bad decisions, although I think he did make some bad decisions. And I think, I think this thing with the red card is really interesting because now what they say, when you, when you watch Sky and you watch a game and they go to Peter Walton who's sitting there, and they say, oh, well, you get a straight red for endangering a member of the opposition. If, you, if it's a dangerous player, your feet are up and you're endangering the, play, the other player, that's a straight red. That can't be the only way you get a straight red. Uh, the other way, of course, is if it's a clear goal-scoring opportunity rugby tackling a player with both hands around their middle and dragging them to the ground when they've already gone past you is a red card offence because you are stopping a player using your hands now most most people get booked for using their hands whenever they do it if you reach out and grab someone by the shoulder once they've gone past you that's always a yellow card because you've used your hands and the game is called football so if you go in with your feet and you try to play, make a play on the ball and you get it wrong, OK, that's a yellow card. Even if Sar is past you, you go with your feet, you catch him, you, don't, you time it badly, yellow card. If you go with both arms, that's not football. That's well, a red card. I think the worst thing about that... That's not, that's not really the issue, though, because that, that just annoyed me because I thought that's just poor. That's poor. At least go and have a chat about it. Go and look at it. But 
generally, yeah. he seemed to be allow himself to get bullied, not yeah. by us, because actually we're not the sort of team that tends to do that. We don't really get up in the face of referees ever. Even when Dinian people were here, we still didn't really do it. But this team really targeted the ref from minute one. I mean, they were shouting and screaming. They were trying to get players booked. And he never really had control. And he did he did let some yeah. things go. And you think, how have you let that go? And then he, he, he quickly blow his whistle for the next one. You think, well, that was the same as the one you just let go. Yeah. So, I, so, And that gets crowds very, very anxious because you think, OK, the ref doesn't really know what a foul looks like in this game. Sometimes he thinks that's a foul and other times he thinks, oh, I'm going to let that go. He played advantage um, on a Cusco foul, which he ended up stopping. He, he, what, he didn't play advantage. He, well, he did play advantage. He played advantage. He just stood there. We had the ball going forward. And then, I don't know if it was a line, I had a word in his ear going, that was a foul, by the way. And then he blew the whistle and brought it back and gave Newcastle uh, a free kick. And it was like, but you played advantage. So you can't have thought it was a free kick, or maybe you didn't see it, but the, it's gone. That, that moment's gone. You can't, you can't start pulling that back. And uh, so these little things, so I was getting like, oh, Lord, here we go. I can see what's going to happen. There's going to be some dodgy half-and-half half decision. He's going to give it Newcastle's way. We're going to lose this game. Please, no, not the ref. I don't mind losing, but I don't want to lose because the ref is totally incompetent. I think he needs a long, he needs a much longer period refereeing in the Championship before he ever comes back to the Premier League because I thought it was a really, really poor performance. By Mike, you're normally a man who can have a great old go at a referee. I mean, my, pro my problem, I look at it in terms of uh, classroom management being a teacher. There was a point where very early, I mean, they were, I thought, they take time waste this early, Newcastle, because by the end of the game, you'll be getting a yellow card, except there was only one, and that was the goalkeeper, which actually took 15 minutes, and when he'd already told him off once, before we did it another four times, and then he gave it to him. He said, get on top of it, as Colin said, he wasn't. You must be seething about that, Mike. Uh, not, not so much the time, <laughs> not so much the time wasting side of things. As a Watford supporter, we've got Ben Foster in our team. Remember who, uh, yeah. who, who wrote the book on on time wasting? Well, the YouTube video, I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's very difficult the time wasting one, isn't it? It's a, 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 a taking a goal kick. Do, do, do crowds start complaining how long it takes to take a goal kick after five minutes? And if you probably marry the two up, it's probably not that no. different in terms of time. It just feels. But I think I think Colin's right, and this was interesting. It did feel it was a second ahead of him the whole time and it, we were never quite sure what the decision was going to be. Cleverly was late into, there was a, a slightly dubious challenge with, with Darlow he went into, um, Kutzka went in high and late and could have been a yellow card, could have been a red and, but that's the thing that Colin it said, you never, you're never sure, you're always second guessing. And it felt like the, I think Newcastle did that well. A touch of the Bournemouth, really. Matt, Matt Ritchie, um, Matt Ritchie was there, <laughs> uh, holding court in Newcastle. Guys, this is how you win games of football. I've done it many times. Yeah, and you know they they made a conscious decision to get in his ear and to to to, to quest to, to for him to question himself, him them questioning him relentlessly as well. And yeah, like Colin says, it was a flip of a coin what decision he was going to give. Flip of a coin whether it's going to be a yellow card. Uh, and it felt like he, yeah, Colin summed it up perfectly. He didn't feel in control of it. I, I have sympathy for him because I think it was, you know, there were perhaps mitigating factors. Newcastle decided that's what they wanted to do. But I'm not going to be too critical of, of Newcastle for trying to come and spoil away from home. I've spoken at length about how poor they've been. If you, can, if you think you can get an advantage one way, go and do it. You know, we've done it, but we've done it ourselves before. So... A difficult afternoon for him, but I don't think he was helped by, by the players, really. The thing, the thing that probably annoyed me most... Now, football, a referee is difficult because it's your opinion that goes, isn't it? So those 50-50 ones, we're looking at through yellow tinted glasses. We're saying, right, that should go our way. Obviously, Newcastle fans are expecting it to go their way. Ref's going to upset. 
off, well, off, not off the crowd, obviously, but you know what I mean. Um, and okay, you perhaps give them a little bit of slack there. The more they do it, the more frustrated you get. But going back to what I said earlier about having to celebrate a winning goal twice and coming away with not yeah. winning the game, that that's just that that's just that's just frustrating, isn't it? Because I mean, okay, maybe I'm wrong. I thought VAR, if you change your decision, you do the little TV signal. And then you give the signal for whatever the correct decision is, which offside, put your hand up in the air. Ref, I don't know if he blew his whistle or not. Blue whistle. Ref, blew his whistle, point it to the centre spot. Yeah. To me, that's a goal. And I think most of the rooker end thought yeah. the same because we were all jumping up and celebrating the winning goal. So VAR, and then, was, che- VAR was checking the offside decision yeah. though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but, but when the when, decision, when was, made, made, yeah. decision was made. Yeah, yeah, the decision made, he didn't do the TV yeah. signal to say it was a change of decision and he didn't put his hand up straight away for the offside. He pointed to the centre circle for the goal and then he seemed to turn around and then he put his hand up and then you're just like what is going on and that is that is frustrating although football is all about moments isn't it being a football fan is all about moments so we've had two two fantastic moments this afternoon <laughs> when we've celebrated a winning goal thank you Jared Gillett great stuff <laughs> well I suspect he's going home this evening and having a good couple of cans of Forex they <laughs> <laughs> so don't make that Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Any of you uh, fans of Marvel would have seen on Disney Plus the brand new show called What If? Where a single choice can branch out into infinite realities, creating alternate worlds from the ones you know. Follow me and ponder the question, what if? So basically, moments in the, the Marvel Universe, if they didn't happen, how would things change? And it got me thinking, what if we didn't have some special moments, some bad moments, and how might the history of Watford be a little bit different? The, the, the big one, Jason, you went straight away, you went straight to the 1987 FA Cup semi-final, where Steve Sherwood and Tony Coaton didn't get a chance to play uh, because uh, they'd injured fingers. What if, what if? We had got through and ended up playing against Coventry City. What if indeed? Uh, the, the, if there's one thing, like we love supporting Watford, don't we? It's, it's great no. fun. <laughs> it's great fun. Shut up, parking. It's great fun following Watford. But the one thing that, that rankles is the fact that we haven't got a major trophy to our name when them up the road have got one. Bloody cute. <laughs> bloody cute. have got one. You know, like Oxford have got one, and it, it is oh just. Oh, annoying! Can't, why can't we? Was ever... that? Was that? Do you think the be, the best chance? I mean, outside of the FA Cup final, which was ninety minutes, because the other one everyone kept saying they said, "What if you know Wilf Rostron hadn't got set off? What yeah. if he had played in that game? That was a another oh, opportunity." But foul. did it feel like you know knowing yeah. what happened was that more of an opportunity in '87? The foul, Les Taylor, his chance early on. If that had gone in, you know, it could have been so much different. But the, I think the the '87 one felt like I had bigger ramifications anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, if one of those two guys had played, the defence would have had a lot more confidence than playing in front of a wine waiter from Wales. Um, and it, let's be honest, Spurs, decent attacking side at the time there. Clive Allen in their side, who, I mean, has there been a goal scorer at the top level like him since for the number of goals that he scored that season? He got loads, didn't he? But we'd have had a chance. We'd have, and it felt like we didn't have a fighting chance. And, and the, goals, the first two goals went in really early and just think, forget it. So we could have done it, and then we could have played Coventry in the final, and we could have beaten them, and we could have won the FA Cup, and then perhaps Graham Taylor would not have left in the summer, yeah. and perhaps things would have been very different. Perhaps he would have stayed a bit longer. Would he have gone to England in still after Bobby Robson retired? 
perhaps he would have done, but perhaps he'd have felt more of an emotional attachment to Watford. It might have been harder. Who knows how long he'd have lasted, how long we could have lasted in the top flight. Had he gone in, had he stayed and then gone in 90, who would we then have bought in? It would have been someone different. It would have been Bassett. We know how bad that went. Yeah. Could we then have been founder members of the Premier League? How different could Watford FC oh in the God. 90s <laughs> have been? And you can see why I chose it now, right? Yeah. right? It, just, it just feels like the ramifications could have been so, so different. There, there are a lot of what-ifs along the way in that yeah, what-if, yeah, yeah. but you never know. And also, the, I think the FA Cup is a big what-if because the, mo- the most recent one, the cup final against Man City, really, we shouldn't have been playing Man City. But people asked, lots of people came up with, you know, what if, before the final, Mike, what if Deeney had missed the penalty against Wolves that came from Stuart Golding? What if he'd missed that penalty? Would that have been our thing to get us into Europe? Would that have been the, the catalyst to, to get a better run in? Well, it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been. It's it a really bit of fun. Yeah, it could have been. been the thing that maybe had sorted, sorted out for that run in to not be as bad as it was. Yeah. But let alone that moment when Pereira, yeah. if he'd scored, would that have changed the game? Could have been, well, it'd probably have been 6 1, wouldn't it? But <laughs> I, I think you're right. But the, the, lots of people were like really focused on that. They were saying, oh, you know, we were just won 6 1. I don't think it's about the result that would have happened. There would have been an amazing moment yeah, at Wembley. Absolutely. And, and, and like Jay says, I think that's why I like talking about the, the cup what ifs. And that, I guess, is the beauty of the cup, isn't it? There are all these different sliding doors moments and they lead inextricably to, to something else. But we feel like we've had our, our fair share of them. You know, Swansea should have beaten Man City. Mm. All, be, all things being equal, that result should have gone yeah, Swansea's yeah. way. Had there been VAR, we wouldn't have been playing Man City, and then it would have been even more disappointing to lose the final <laughs> to Plymouth Swansea. Um, but yeah, I think the point about the point is a good one. Could we have gone on to, to Europe, and what, what impact would that have had? You mentioned Troy, the, the other his goal against Leicester, mm. the butterfly effect of that one is absolutely enormous. What it did for his career, and of course, if that doesn't go in, there's no chance that Leicester City win the Premier League. And, and the whole sort of story, the ups and the incredible ups and the incredible downs, of course, that, that Leicester have enjoyed and endured, none of those happen if Troy doesn't score that, that, that goal. So what if, what if he'd have put it wide? I was, I was just going to do the... Um I was going to do a silly one, which is, what if Knockhart hadn't dived? <laughs> if he hadn't dived, we'd have been robbed of the, one of the greatest moments in recent Watford uh, football history. But I've got a couple of others, which yeah, I think on. we might like. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do the first one, which is a more recent one, which is, when players go to prison, quite often when they come out of prison, football clubs go, yeah, thanks very much, but actually there's a bit of, you've got so much baggage now that we're actually just going to say look here's we're going to not renew your contract we're not going to we're not going to go with you we hope you find another job as a footballer but it's not going to be here so what if when Troy came out of his time at Her Majesty's Pleasure the club had said actually you know Troy we want to help you but we think this and this isn't the right place for you it was was the first season of the Pozzos it was their quite a big move and quite a big statement to to be made what would have been different though what do you think how would it how would it have panned out if he had been let go everything because without Troy Dini over the past 10 years we wouldn't be where we are right now there was absolutely no question I know he hasn't been a, a brilliant performer in the last two or three seasons but he was not only was he really our, our key goal scorer along with Agalo obviously in that first 
uh, season in the Premier League. But he scored over 60 goals in the Championship in three seasons, and we eventually managed to, to get up. Yes, he scored the goal in the semi-final that got us to the final. I mean, he, he scored the goal against Leicester. You know, he's but he had such a big influence on us as a club, um, and it, we can talk about it now uh, because he's not here anymore. And and. In a, in a slightly different way maybe but I think that there have been times where the Pozzos have brought in coaches that didn't necessarily bring the squad together in the way that we'd hope I'm thinking mostly of Mazzari and, and how Troy then stepped forward and not always in a popular way I suspect with the squad but he definitely led the club and without him if they'd let him go and he'd gone off somewhere else to QPR or he'd got, gone to Birmingham then or maybe he'd ended up at Villa who knows where he would have gone but he wouldn't have done what he did for us and we were the perfect club for him and he was the perfect player for us the other one which is the massive one, and it is really huge. This because we all know the history is that is that um, Elton John was had his had stars in his eyes. He was a superstar, and he wanted a superstar. And who better than the captain of the England team who won the World Cup to come in as coach? It's a, we, we've seen it happen before. We've seen it recently with billionaires coming in saying, "I just want the coach I've heard of." And if he'd done that and not listened to the other directors and also various local dignitaries and, and journalists, it's like, maybe not, has no experience of lower league football, we're in the fourth division, but there's this chap up at Lincoln who looks quite good. And if he hadn't changed his mind and listened, and it's great credit to Art and John for doing that, because it would have been very easy to say, Bobby Moore is our new coach, and the whole town would have gone completely crazy, but he decided not to do that, and he brought in Graham Taylor, and if he hadn't done that, we would probably still be in League One or League Two. Well, there was actually a moment in that whole process where, you know, Graham, in, you know, Enjoy your game. Enjoy the game by Lana Burney. He talked about the fact that he Graham had a conversation with West Brom to come and become their manager. He could have easily become a manager somewhere else because he was the hot ticket at that point. Mike, is that the biggest one? Is that the biggest what if? What if Graham Taylor hadn't? Would this? Would everything we see around us—the bright lights and the fancy kit and the brilliant stadium we have here do you think that's probably the biggest what if of our history what if Graham had never turned up I think so and I think about it often I think about it almost whenever I think about Watford and all the good things I do think what if that hadn't have come to pass would I would I even be here supporting Watford would I feel comfortable with my family would my family have been comfortable bringing me would Watford have enjoyed all the success they did the question the answers to all that are almost certainly no and I give I genuinely give thanks that that came to pass and we've talked about all the things that that didn't quite go our way the cups and all this that and the other but actually we earned we got something we got the golden ticket really we won the football supporters lottery didn't we in that moment when when graham taylor signed to be to be manager of watford football club it it just set the golden road it, it just got us up and running didn't it and it was yeah that's the biggest but there's a more recent one <laughs> When Angela got sent off against Bournemouth, where we could have maybe have won the entire second tier of football league, which is the first time we've done it. The fact that that game early was late January, wasn't it? If he hadn't got sent off after, was it three seconds? You know, maybe that game would have been a little bit more equal and maybe the maybe we could have won that, that league. But what if Gino, Papa Pozzo, Scott didn't like the look of us? Was it Charlton, the other? Charlton, the other one? What if... What if someone I can't remember who it was? What if what if he who shall not be named found the keys to the safe? <laughs> that was a brilliant one. He'd have found nothing in there. He was in charge of the football club. He knew what was in there. I don't know what he was looking for. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's just little rabbit holes, aren't they? That you go down to. But again, you know, the more recent ones, the you know Gino and uh, well the Pozzo takeover. 
if the, if that hadn't come to pass, again we might not stood be standing here. John, you mentioned the you know I noticed the just the fascia of the of the Hornet shop. They've got the nice the new the values up there on. You know they spent a few quid around this place, and it looks like a proper football stadium now. It's good in there. There's a Century Lounge. We're in the Premier League. Good things have happened in the football club since since Graham Taylor and Elton John's era. And yeah, what if what if that hadn't come to pass as well? We, you know, Derby are staring down the barrel. They know what happened when things don't go go your way. So what if those guys hadn't come in when they did? Who? Who knows, quite frankly. But that, of course, really is the beauty of football. Look, I'm smiling now. You get it? <laughs> my, cousin, my cousin Richie said that he said, Mike, I hope you've calmed down. He said, John will sort you out. I said, he won't. He won't. If he tries, I'm going to knock his block off. But you've done it. You've done it. You've taught me around. But of course it is. It's they're imponderables. You don't know what's going to happen. I was talking about how we might lose, we might get humped by Liverpool and I don't want to be here. Of course, when that game rolls around, I'll be out of bed far too early, excited because my team has got a chance at playing one of the best teams in the in the land and who knows what might happen. So loads of what-ifs and loads more what-ifs to come. Can't wait. Thank you very much, Colin. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, look, I'm sorry about that little sort of <laughs> bit of the well, start. That's, that's what we're here for, mate. That's why we do these podcasts. I, feel, I thought that, I do think that was pretty grim. If you're listening, Lance, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. Let's just let's step it up a bit, eh? <laughs> Thank you, Jason. We love you, Michael. Never change. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be back with another From the Recruit on Thursday uh, with Adam to find out what's been going on news-wise uh, over the last week. And, of course, with a trip to Leeds United. Uh, we'll have another podcast, the last one, before an international break uh, and see if, hey, after a terrible game against Wolves, we stepped it up. Maybe after a mediocre, not the best game against Newcastle, maybe we'll step it up and we'll talk about it as we do off on the recurrent. Come on, you horns! The Athletic.